The Dauntless Gambit by Eric Flowers. Narrated by Chris Lynch. Episode 55, A Regrettable Means to an Unavoidable End. Ken walked briskly down the bright corridors of the Terminus toward her quarters. Her third shift of the day finally concluded. Crew members passed coming the other direction, most maintaining neutral expressions and making no eye contact. A few still attempted a polite nod of recognition, only to quickly find some place else to look when Ken's new persona infected their subconscious. The persona modeled after Lord Ascendant Gallo. A crew member approached from the opposite direction, a major, male, late forties, flight squadron emblem on his shoulder. He met eyes with Ken, the barely perceptible twitches in his expression cycling through a sequence now common from those who outranked her, dismissiveness, hesitancy, uncertainty, and finally, self-doubt. The major passed without offering Ken any acknowledgement, likely wondering why he suddenly felt as if he'd done something wrong but did not remember what. Ken continued her near-march pace. Before adopting this manufactured aura of intimidation, she had observed in others the subtle, subconscious cues that revealed a breadth of human sentiment, the crucial hints of motivations behind behaviors which allowed Kin to make sense of human interaction and the world around her and to maintain her cover. Yet in the short time since adopting this new cover personality, Kin had begun to feel an unexpected increase in her own paranoia. She was succeeding in projecting the aura of intimidation, but the aura came at the expense of never knowing more than that people were merely afraid. Another crew member passed, someone Kin did not recognize. A sergeant, female, no older than Kin, specialist first-class rank on her Gray Republic uniform. The sergeant's gaze shifted to Kin, making eye contact for just a moment as they approached each other. Kin projected the subtle cues with each new encounter, refining and adjusting based on how she was perceived. She drowned the sergeant in nonverbal signals, suspicion, derision, the confidence of knowing the sergeant had done something wrong, and it was only a matter of time before Ken exposed her. The sergeant's throat bobbed, muscles in her jaw twitching as she fought and failed to maintain a neutral expression. Doubt. Timidity. Guilt. Ken narrowed her eyes slightly as the sergeant passed, their shoulders nearly brushing. The sergeant would remember Ken, the OS-9 officer who had given her a chill. Maybe later the sergeant would talk about Kin with some of her trusted friends, if she still had any left under Gallo's culture of fear and distrust, and help secure Kin's reputation as one not to be crossed. Each crew member Kin passed was more of the same. The breadth of unspoken human sentiment was gone. Now, all Kin saw were indications of fear, hesitance, suspicion, anxiety, and in some cases, dread. Her fellow crew members on the Terminus reacted fearfully to Kin. But was it because they had ill intent, or was it because they feared being mistakenly accused? Perhaps it was just a raw expression of the anxiety and mistrust within Gallo's new environment. Kin reached the door to her quarters, maintaining the aura even as she faced the door and tapped the newly mandated proximity unlock sequence into her comm. The door slid aside and she stepped through both her expression and shoulders falling only after she heard the door close behind her. Was this how Gallo experienced the world? Human interactions, nothing but a string of suspicions with no way of discerning between truth and false positives. It had been only a day, and already the imposed isolation was suffocating her spirit. But even beyond that, 
Kin was starting to feel something else. On two separate instances, she really had believed her Terminus crewmates had been hiding something nefarious. What bothered Kin was that aboard the Lord Ascendant's flagship, the only safe assumption was that they were. Kin let out a deep breath, feeling the muscles in her face relax as she did. Each morning, she practiced the expressions in her mirror, making adjustments as needed based on the reactions she experienced. It was not something she could simply ask Yadav about, as it would raise the larger question of Kin's motivation in the first place. In fact, Kin had yet to emit the aura while Yadav was present. How would she explain it? Would Yadav assume Kin was genuinely embracing the Lord Ascendant's culture of fear? She crossed her quarters to her desk, pulling out the chair and collapsing into it. There had been little opportunity for her and Yadav to meet and speak in depth, outside of routine team member interactions. Each brief chance they had was interrupted, either by an urgent work matter or by the presence of others. Lieutenant Meridesi and Lieutenant Yadov maintained their professionalism. Even quick stolen glances were too great of a risk. Someone might see and wonder if the glance meant they were secret lovers, secret Imperium defectors, or both. It was a wonder they could not afford. The Imperium defectors Kin did know of, Lee, Julian, Agent Mori, had not appeared in the report so far. All Kin would do was wait for either Lee and Julian to re-establish contact or wait for their names to appear in an official report. OS-9 had no information, but they were not the only source she had access to. Kin activated her computer, reading the classified intelligence briefing now produced daily by the Naval Special Investigation Division for OS-9 and other high-ranking Navy leaders. Since the fall of 5E in the Imperium, Commander Tao's organization had acquired quite a roster of agency veterans. His division was sent well-written and expansive briefs each morning, clearly not the output of the commander himself. Today's briefing told of several incidents throughout the eleven planets of the former Imperium, the conflict between the Republic and the Resistance growing each hour. Kin scanned the summaries of each, looking for anything that might give her answers. One summary stood out. She opened the detailed report. The system required a confirmation of security clearance, Kin sighed at the data trail she was obligated to leave behind and entered her reason. Close contact with a suspected defector who had served aboard the Terminus. The system confirmed that her request had been logged, then revealed the report. A scenario formed in her mind. During open conflict with the Dairene of the well-defended Radiance Resort, a camera in a Republic Ranger's helmet triggered a facial recognition hit. Wanted fugitive of the Republic, Bennett Lee. The report detailed the recovery of two dead Republic Navy Rangers, bodies recovered from a forest fire resulting from the fight. The report said one had been rendered unconscious from the energy bursts and then died from smoke inhalation, while the other died from a rail slug to the base of the neck. Both were being attributed to Lee as the perpetrator. Kin lowered her eyes. There was no way to know how much of this report was accurate, presumed, or manufactured to mislead. Rennick's division was compromised by virtue of it being his division. Had Lee really committed these acts, or was he just doing what was necessary to escape? If the reports were true, Kin chose to believe that Lee had been forced to fight for his own survival, but envisioning the smiling sergeant committing these acts was still an uncomfortable reflection of the reality ahead. Regrettable acts enacted through necessity. Kin scanned the rest of the report, looking for any other names. None appeared. Lee had not been captured, and neither had Julian. Whatever transpired at the Radiance with Lee and Julian 
seemed to end with this report. She memorized the report number for later retrieval and kept looking. Another entry caught her attention, this one more expected, though far more dire. Director Clark had been processed by the Naval Special Investigation Division and was currently a classified detainee being held for further questioning. The prisoner location status showed he was in the same underground detention facility where Kin and Yadov had found Julian. Kin's heart sank, a cold dread filling her at Clark's fate, the one he had chosen for himself. She remembered how she and Yadov had found Julian in the white torture room. Rennick had Clark, and this time, Clark was no longer a director of the 5e intelligence agency. Now, he was a prisoner, branded as a traitor to the Republic with accusations of Clark colluding with both the High Imperius and the Red Kestrels, awaiting whatever cruel revenge Rennick had planned. Clark's actions in sending Samantha away and conspiring with Julian and Kin against Gallo were more than enough to keep him locked away forever, condemning him the moment the Republic succeeded. The warning Julian had given Kin and Yadov about Rennick's ruthlessness played in her mind. Clark had submitted himself publicly for surrender, forcing Rennick to take him in and process him by the book. Now that Rennick had him detained and out of public view, Clark's fate was unknown. He was an enemy combatant under the full jurisdiction of Rennick's division and not subject to civilian law. There would be no due process, no trial, no mercy. Where her indigo privileges might have allowed Kin to exert some influence on Clark's behalf, those privileges were gone. The only person who could intervene on Clark's behalf and override Rennick now was Gallo himself. And Gallo did not give stays of execution. Kin flinched as her quarter's visitor's chime sounded. She rose instinctively, quickly accessing the door controls from her computer. It was Yadov. But Yadov should have reported for her first shift by now. Kin raced the door stopping just before it and composing her expression as she pressed the access panel. Yadov stood in the corridor, hands clasped behind her back, familiar, stern, but fair expression on her face. Lieutenant Meridesi, a word, she said, a thread of waver in her voice. Kin scanned the corridor behind Yadov. Seeing no one, she stepped back and gestured for Yadov to enter. Of course, please come in. Yadov strode forward proceeding into the room several paces as the door slid shut behind her. Kin turned and saw her face. Yadov was visibly shaken. Kin rushed forward, feeling her own fear surge. Esme, what is it? Yadov swallowed. Someone is looking into me. I think it has something to do with Sergeant Lee, or maybe our talk with Agent Siddig, I don't know. You saw the report about Lee being a defector? Yadov took a quick, loud breath. He was on my team, and now he's defected to, to what, some anti-republic resistance movement? That doesn't just happen. There was something there all along, and I missed it. Kin lowered her eyes. She envisioned the Sergeant Lee that Yadav would remember, the jocular and frivolous data analyst. She deliberately did not address Yadav's questions, questions that might turn to Kin. What are they saying? Who is saying this? Yadav folded her arms tight across her chest and paced across the quarters. Lieutenant Tarin. I overheard him muttering to his team about Lee. He must have just seen the division briefing that was posted. He was confident that Lee had been a dissident all along, maybe working with the Red Kestrels. He's not supposed to be talking aloud like this, even behind OS-9 checkpoints. Kin shook her head and stepped closer, placing a hand on Yadav's arm. Lieutenant Tarin is an outspoken individual. 
I have witnessed him break protocol in this nature several times in the past. Are you certain he has connected Sergeant Lee's unfortunate betrayal to you somehow? Yadov met Kin's gaze, chin quivering. Kin, he looked right at me. I pretended not to notice, but by the time I'd returned to my desk, I'd been summoned by the honor guard to report for an interview after my shift. Yadov turned away, squeezing hands into fists and her eyes shut. The honor guard interrogators don't care about truth. If they see anything, I'll be taken like you saw Poole be taken. No one has seen him since. Kin shook her head rapidly. No, they can't. They... Yadov scoffed. Kin, we worked with Lee. We conspired with Siddig. We hunted down Commander Tao and then covered up our investigation. Rennick is still in charge of his division, and now he has Director Clark awaiting torture and interrogation. She raised her eyes to Kin, fear behind her shimmering eyes. Lieutenant Terran has started something that cannot be stopped. What do we do? Kin steadied her breathing, keeping her hand on Yadav's arm, letting the presence of a warm, flesh-and-blood person keep her grounded. Lieutenant Terran's suspicions were unfounded, but not incorrect. Yadov was the victim of wild speculation, which happened to contain an element of truth. Both Kin and Yadov's proximity to Lee was problematic, but their interactions with Julian and investigation into Rennick were secure. Were they not? If the honor guard felt Yadov was a risk, she'd disappear, and after interrogating more of Yadov's co-workers, they would come for Kin. Evidence of treason against the Republic was not required. All someone like Lieutenant Tarin had to do was raise the level of doubt enough that it was better to remove the suspect rather than leave any room for subversion. There was nothing Kin and Yadav alone could do. The honor guard reported to no one. No. Almost no one. Kin placed her other hand against Yadav's arm and pulled her close, speaking softly. You need to resume your shift. Go back. Act as if nothing is amiss. If the honor guard does come for you, do not resist. Comply, but evade answering any questions. Yadav reared back. What? Why? Kin pulled back and locked eyes with Yadav. I cannot share with you what I intend to do should you be questioned. Please, just hold on through the remainder of your shift and do not react to anything that happens. Yadav pulled away from Kin, brow wrinkled in confusion. What do you mean? What are you going to do? Kin took a step toward Yadov, hand tightening around her arm. I am going to fix this. Yadov scoffed and pulled away. Kin, stop. You can't do this. I can go to Major Drake, explain things. He'll... Kin turned, flaring the aura of intimidation she'd been practicing. No, you cannot go to Drake. We must do this. Yadov recoiled at this new Kin she saw. Kin lowered her gaze and released Yadov's arm. Kin, plan still forming in her mind, turned to the desk and quickly picked up a blank sheet of paper and a pencil. Items in hand, she hurried Yadov to the door. Go, please, you must. Remember, if the honor guard does come for you, do not resist. Do not answer questions. Wait for me. This is the only chance we have. Yadov's eyes flitted back and forth. Confusion. Disbelief. Fear. Fear of kin. Yadov stopped just before the doors, turning and speaking just out of view of any crew members who should pass in the corridor behind her. Kin, what are you going to do? Kin followed her into the corridor, turning her face away from Yadov as she summoned the aura again. 
what is necessary for our survival. The screen on Gallo's desk went black. The image of President Archer standing behind her podium at the temporary Republic Capitol blinking out of view. It was her first address from this center of government, having spent a few days looking for a suitable building on the Capitol compound that could accommodate her executive staff and growing cabinet. The chamber for the Imperium's Council of Hundred had been chosen, since many of those representatives were currently in a Republic detention center until their respective home planets complied with Archer's plea for unity. Whatever structure the new president would choose for her new legislative branch was not Gallo's concern. None would defy the will of the Republic. Gallo smirked. The sooner they passed the transition period of needing to pretend that this evolution, this ascension, was an unplanned turn of events, the better. He had a sector to dominate, a quadrant, maybe even a galaxy. Gallo wasn't sure. The creator had offered no further guidance. Perhaps Gallo's purpose had been fulfilled, and nothing more was required of him. The remainder of his life, only a long waiting period of self-guided achievement, until he was finally called to the existence beyond death. Gallo retrieved a data pad from his desk and held it leisurely in one hand, reclining in his chair. His eyes narrowed while he reviewed the latest updates from his fleets across the divided Republic. Only three of the ten Imperium planets had immediately capitulated. That was fewer than estimated, but not outside his ability to remedy. The other six were stalling, hoping to build up their own defenses, and the seventh, Dyrene, was hoping to sell them those defenses. He had predicted that the Dyrene governor and their cadre of profiteering actuaries would have been looking for a way to exploit the situation. To satisfy that need, Gallo had already prepared a budget of 50 billion Republic credits to immediately engage them in new arms contracts, including developing an entirely new class of prototype Corvette light attack vessels. But he'd underestimated another resource that Gaudi culture valued as much as money. Image. Being the first planet to declare total sovereignty from the Republic had made them the talk of the sector, with reports of new arms contracts with the other resisting planets measuring in the hundreds of billions. Even the Selicans were praising them. Fine. If they wanted notoriety, they would be known as the first planet Gallo burned to the ground. Gallo tossed the data pad on his desk and rubbed his palms against his eyes. He'd spent the last four days doing nothing but overseeing the tactical domination of all lingering Imperium resistance. He'd made no public appearance. Archer needed to be the one to galvanize the people, not him. Gallo's thoughts went to the clothing stand near his desk, the flowing black cape hanging from it. A subtle grin bent his lips. The Lord Ascendant was a figure who had influence from the shadows, even less visible than the spectral fleet marshal had been. When the Lord Ascendant was required to appear, he would be a demigod, the likes of which the fleet marshal could never have achieved. A chime sounded from Gallo's computer. It was Captain Alliday. Gallo reached from his reclined position and tapped the answer button. Captain? Lord Ascendant, a crew member wishes an audience with you and is provided, Alliday paused, sufficient justification for why she should be permitted to speak to you directly. Gallo raised an eyebrow. An unexpected audience was irregular, but Alliday would not have bothered to notify him had the captain felt there was the slightest measure of frivolity in the request. Gallo had spent much of the last four days seeing expected events unfold. An unexpected visit may offer a brief moment of curiosity. Send them in, Captain, Gallo said. On his computer, a personnel file appeared. He gave it a quick scan. 
His guest was a lieutenant, but also a member of OS-9 with top-level clearance. Gallo hummed with interest. She reported to Major Drake, who himself reported to Intelligence Chief Colonel Alderman. It was a prestigious chain of command. Gallo gave a quick glance to the cape hanging from the clothing stand. He grimaced. No, not this time. He did not feel like standing. Besides, a single terminus lieutenant did not merit the full presence of the Lord Ascendant. They would have to settle for Gallo. The expansive double doors to Gallo's office slid open. The young lieutenant walked through them, her pace brisk and purposeful, hands clasped behind her back. She had cropped black hair combed in a neat, asymmetric fashion and wore her gray Republic uniform well. She raised her right hand and saluted, fist over heart, before returning it behind her back. Lieutenant Miradesi, Captain Alliday informs me you have something you believe justifies my folks' detention? Gallo asked, studying Miradesi's face. She met eyes with Gallo, her expression firm. Correct, Lord Ascendant, she said. Miradesi broke eye contact her eyes narrowing slightly as her gaze slowly shifted from item to item in Gallo's executive office. She seemed to be inspecting Gallo's environment. Her visual tour ended on the cape hanging from its stand, a barely audible hum her only reaction as she returned her eyes to Gallo's. Gallo leaned forward, studying Miradesi's face. He expected her to be anxious in his presence, but she wasn't. She appeared to be annoyed. No, not annoyed. Impatient. With Gallo? Gallo waited. Meredesi's eyes remained locked with his. Gallo felt a hint of his own impatience as he casually raised a hand. Well? Lord Ascendant, Meredesi said, her tone curt as she quickly shifted her gaze back to him. I am here to finally reveal myself as a key asset in your victory over the Imperium, and I come with a proposal that will ensure your continued success as the true leader of this republic. Gallo felt the rush of his authority being challenged burn under his collar at Miradesi's tone. He stared at her, projecting the essence of the Lord Ascendant while silently cursing the bright overhead lighting ruining the drama of his words. While your work in OS-9 is no doubt important, I believe I would have already known if a young lieutenant had been a, what did you refer to yourself as, a key asset? You are wasting my time. Miradesi stared back her expression sharp and unflinching. Gallo felt a different sensation sneak its way past his annoyance. He felt the rush of a challenge, an opponent. Miradesi had the calculating eyes of a viper, and those eyes were centered on Gallo. Incorrect, Lord Ascendant. I am not wasting your time, Miradesi finally said, her tone so matter-of-fact it caused Gallo to snort. If this lieutenant wished to spar, Gallo could allow himself a few minutes of entertainment before crushing her spirit. A few weeks in the brig should help Meredesi adjust her demeanor. Gallo leaned forward, placing his elbows on the desk. Is that so? Yes, Lord Ascendant. With your victory on Kestris secure and the sector now bowing to your will, I determined this was the earliest opportunity to inform you of my part in your grand plan. In the course of my duties over the last few weeks as a member of the Indigo Investigation, I became aware of the services Commander Rennick Tau was performing for you. A sardonic grin bent Meredesi's lips. He was your interface with the Red Kestrels who set up the Dauntless hijacking and the Snarview Station attack. I know the Red Kestrel threat is a lie and that you are the instrument of the Imperium's demise. 
Gallo felt a blaze of rage so pure he could summon no expression to match it. His voice was flat. I should kill you where you stand. Meridesi shook her head. Unwise and strategically unsound. Lord Ascendant, when I deduced that you were behind Tao's actions, I hid the commander's activities from OS-9. I'd reason that you were working through him, and that the leak aboard the Terminus, which you ordered Indigo to search for, was not Commander Tao, but you. You were the leak, Gallo. For you are the only one with both the access to generate the duplicate Terminus encryption signature key Tao supplied to Kat Basara, as well as having the power to cover it all up. And yes, I know of Commander Tao's ill-timed visit to Sonali. Another instance of Tao's reckless behavior I hid and kept from thwarting your plans. Miradesi smirked, a glint of cunning in her eye. As I said, I am a key asset and can continue to be so. Gallo took a slow breath, regaining control over his deeply hidden and unexpected flare of emotion. Something about Lieutenant Meridesi was different from the others who seemed to use his power and position for their own gain. Most came at Gallo with two personalities, one they presented and one they thought they could hide. President Archer gave him a grudging facade of respect to cover the fear she felt. Commander Tao presented a mask of unquestioning eagerness to please, to hide his belief that he was equal to Gallo, thinking this was a way to ease the deep insecurities that made Rennick so easy to manipulate. The same was true for all of his conspiring generals, politicians, and scattered collaborators who approached him with ulterior motives they believed they hid so well. Gallo allowed it. It helped keep them motivated and easy to exploit. But not Meridesi. He sensed none of this in her piercing stare. She was taking a different approach and hiding nothing, likely wagering that the audacity and extreme risk of this act would impress Gallo and give her request credence. Gallo felt a sardonic smile tug at his lips. Was this what he was missing in his most closely held entourage of puppets and sycophants? Someone willing to hide nothing, even if it meant displeasing the Lord Ascendant. He took a slow, inward breath, eyeing Miradesi as he exhaled through his nose. I will permit you to share your proposal, he said, feeling the thrill of a sparring match with an unexpectedly agile opponent. Miradesi nodded just as Gallo held up a hand. However, realize that the information you have shared means you either leave here with my acceptance of your proposal, or you never leave here at all. You've placed your wager. Gallo focused on Miradesi's face, each muscle around her eyes, her mouth. She appeared completely confident in the wager of her life. Miradesi returned his stare. She gave him nothing, not a twitch, not a bob of the throat, Nothing but the focused eyes of a viper in the split second before shooting forward to sink their fangs into their prey. Lord Ascendant, the intelligence community believes in a principle of known leaks. No system is airtight. It is only through controlling where the leaks occur that we maintain the absolute integrity of the system. While you maintain a tight control through the Honor Guard's interrogations, it is prone to mistakes. When crew members will report anyone they fear is a threat to them, Leaks are plugged where none exist, and others go unnoticed amid the false positives. If I may proffer an example. Gallo tilted his head subtly. She had his attention, more than Gallo wanted to admit. Thank you. During the course of covering up the information on Commander Tao, it became apparent the commander was preoccupied with members of his former agency, 
going so far as to implicate them as being in collaboration with the Red Kestrels. Director Elias Clark seemed to be his primary fixation, along with several of Clark's agents. This led to the confrontation on Sonali, where the commander attempted to silence both Kat Basara and assets working on Clark's behalf. I believe this incident was reported to you via an anonymous communique, correct? Gallo's eyes narrowed. So, Tao had been on Sonali trying to cover up his feud with 5e. Killing the Kestrel boss must have been a way to keep the Kestrels from revealing his involvement with them. What had Tao let slip that led to this confrontation with Clark? Gallo grinned at the memory of his former comrade and one of the few people Gallo had respected, Elias Clark. How long had it been since the stubborn old hero of the Imperium had left the Navy? A decade? And Tao had been the one to rile him up. The commander's erratic nature was wearing Gallo's patience thin. Lieutenant, your recounting of known events fails to add any illumination to your proposal. Become relevant, quickly. Meridesi took a step forward, nearly touching Gallo's desk. She pulled her hands from behind her back and placed a sheet of paper in front of Gallo. He glanced down at it, then leaned forward. On the sheet was string after string of equations, none of which made any sense to him. He recognized the symbols of arithmetic, as well as several terms related to psychology and behaviorism, but the combination of the two was beyond his comprehension. It was arcane. Perhaps he was wrong about the razor's edge of boldness and stupidity the lieutenant walked. And this is? Gallo growled. Meridesi lifted the paper, pointing to the symbol as she spoke. An algorithm I have sketched which uses several of Dr. Hawthorne's principles of theoretical mathematics, combined with advanced concepts in precognitive psychology. Combining the two, I believe I can create a systematic way to analyze the behavior of any given crew member and assign them a confidence score as to the likelihood that they are a dissident. I have already tested it against a leak I believe exists within OS9 and who is related to both Tao and Clark. Gallo raised an eyebrow, his interest genuine. Elaborate. Miradesi clasped her hands behind her back, still holding the paper. I believe there is a member of OS-9 who had access to Indigo investigation files and was conspiring with Director Clark. Using the method I sketched, I have confidence that they leaked information about Commander Tao's whereabouts to Director Clark. I believe Clark instructed his agents to gather evidence on Kat Basara, and Tao nearly revealed your entire plan prematurely by intervening on Sonali against orders. Were you aware it was Director Clark who attempted to thwart Commander Tao by delivering this information to you? Gallo remained silent, anger simmering with the memory of Tao's most personal betrayals. How close he'd come to following through with the decision to end his life before Tao showed a sliver of redeemability. He had to give Clark credit. He'd nearly orchestrated Rennick's demise and Gallo had almost been the one to do it. Impressive. Clark's time away from the Navy appeared not to have dulled his edge. Gallo dipped his chin in silence as a prompt from Miradesi to continue. She spoke with a hungry confidence. According to my analysis, this OS-9 officer is now attempting to divert their own guilt onto another member of OS-9, a competent officer and one I know to be uninvolved. It is a diversion, and your honor guard will be apprehending the wrong person, thereby allowing the leak to remain. I am here to seal it for you as well as any future leaks, by proposing you allow me to establish my own insulated team where these methods of detection can be honed without distraction. Gallo smirked, then grimaced. Who do you suspect? Meridesi raised an eyebrow, 
Are you accepting the potential of my methodology and proposal? I hope, Lord Ascendant, that I have proved I am capable of doing what is necessary to protect us all. The razor's edge of boldness and stupidity sliced through Gallo's assessment of the audacious lieutenant. She refused to cower to him, but she had also gone to great lengths to protect his interests. Perhaps the Creator had guided her choices, providing Gallo with this hidden asset in order to offset the drawbacks of Tao's erratic energy. With Tao's most useful days behind him, perhaps the Creator was sending Gallo a new weapon to wield, one made for a more sophisticated time. While the fall of an empire may have required a dagger, perhaps the delicate nature of growing a republic required a scalpel. Gallo leaned forward and pressed a button on his desk, his eyes locked on Meridesi's. The door to his office immediately slid open, Captain Alliday and a pair of honor guard marching into the room. Meridesi did not flinch. Gallo felt a rush of satisfaction. She was authentic. Lord Ascendant, Alliday said, glancing at the young lieutenant who refused to even acknowledge the honor guard's presence. Gallo slowly stood, nodding down to Meridesi. I am delegating a special project to the lieutenant, and I wish for you to supervise its creation. Please see she is given modest accommodations for her and the team she selects. Gallo narrowed his eyes at Meridesi, leaving no room for doubt in his tone. I believe the early output of this project already has someone she would like for you to apprehend. Lieutenant? Meridesi nodded, turning to Captain Alliday and speaking without hesitation. It has been determined that Lieutenant Gustav Tarin should be apprehended at once. Understood, Alliday said. The captain nodded to the pair of honor guard, both of whom turned on their heels and double-timed it out of the office. Is there anything else, Lord Ascendant? Gallo pondered a moment. The conversation had been most unexpected, and yet invigorating. He could feel the Creator's influence at play. The strict culture of duty Gallo had cultivated aboard the Terminus had rewarded him with officers like the young Meridesi. She deserved a small token of appreciation. Yes. Supply the lieutenant with an unadorned uniform and pair of shoulder caps. I wish for this project to report to the Honor Guard, not OS-9. Come up with a name that befits its status and see that all appropriate clearances and accesses are granted immediately. Alliday turned, saluting Meridesi fist over heart. Welcome to the guard. The doors to Kin's quarters slid shut. She fell back against it, tears bursting from her eyes and streaming down her cheeks. Her legs buckled and she slid to the floor, unable to catch her breath, hyperventilating. The plain gray uniform in her arms with its armor-plated shoulder caps tumbled to the floor beside her. She could not be seen like this. She could not allow herself to lose control after what she'd done. There had been no other way to protect Yadov, to protect herself. It had been necessary. There was no way to go back. She had to make good on her grievous moral debt. Kin rose and stumbled across her quarters to her desk, collapsing into the chair. Her hands shook uncontrollably as she activated her computer. The effort she'd exerted to become someone Gala would believe had been too much. She looked at the crumpled paper still in her hand the pencil marks wet and smeared from both her sweating palms and tears, the gibberish mix of math and psychology illegible. There had been no algorithm. The entire idea was preposterous. Only Gallo's willingness to rely on faith and believe in the unbelievable had prevented him from considering this. Face to face, his micro-expressions and tells had been more visible than most. The Lord Ascendant believed himself above such concerns, 
giving Kin everything she needed to alter her act and proposal with each new clue. Kin wiped the tears from her eyes, forcing herself to focus on the screen and the immediate tasks at hand. Her interface was already changed to match her honor guard credentials and access. Kin retrieved Lieutenant Tarin's record. Her breath caught in her throat. The honor guard had already apprehended him. He was in custody on a detention deck Kin had not known existed until now. What had Tarin done to deserve this? Was giving in to Gallo's culture of fear and threatening Yadov's life enough? He could not have had evidence on her. Yadov had not done anything wrong. He had been ignorant of Lee's identity, which Kin knew because it was Lee who had revealed himself to Kin. The grim truth was apparent. Tarin had wanted to increase his own appearance of loyalty to the Republic by sacrificing Yadov. Exactly as Kin had just done to him, only she had succeeded. Her continued survival aboard the Terminus was necessary for the promise she had made to Lee and the commitment she maintained to Clark, Julian, and the rest who would oppose Gallo. The sacrifice of Lieutenant Tarin to the Honor Guard and her own moral integrity was a regrettable means to an unavoidable end. Kin had traded someone she did not care about for someone she did. How many more trades like this would she be required to make now that Gallo had shocked her by assigning her to the Honor Guard? She had only wanted to maneuver herself into a position to protect Yadov and herself. She had done so, and had been entirely too effective. Kin had ample power to protect them now. All she had to do was continue to find suspected dissidents, defectors, and other traitors who would satisfy Gallo and the Honor Guard's paranoid thirst. Kin placed her shaking hands on the keyboard and opened a message to Captain Alliday writing her first order as the leader of this new team tasked with inventing a dissident hunting algorithm. The words appeared on the screen, and with them, the only salvation Kin felt at the horrible sacrifice she had made. Transfer request. Lieutenant Esme Yadov. Approved. Kin now had the power to protect Yadov. It had only cost her the person she was. She must make that price worth it. Hands steadying on the keys of her computer, Kin wrote her second order. Hey everyone, this is Eric. Thanks for listening to episode 55. Fun stuff. We see the turn of Kin facing down Gallo. And, you know, I'm not sure if even I felt like Gallo and Kin would have a showdown um, by the time this book was done, but it just turned out that this was the perfect place to create this chapter. Uh, this is new for the podcast version of the book. In the first draft, this never happened, but Kin's story just needed a little more something um, at the end to give her her conclusion before the, the final scene, which you'll see her appear next in episode 59. Um, and that's just what happens as this story is released and edited and you know narrated, and I hear it and hear people's reactions. Sometimes I realize something something more was needed and so there have been you know five or six chapters um throughout the the 60 that were totally new and uh, necessary to make the story complete and i feel that they're some of the best so i hope you like this one with ken's turn i uh, hope it was kind of exciting and you know interesting you know blend of the characters and speaking of blends of characters next chapter we return to the matilda with our crew coming back from kestris we'll finally see everyone together julian lee samantha decker all the rest of the matilda 
as they you know, figure out what to do next and where to take this story. Um, and I'm taking this story all the way to episode 60. I just finished rewriting episode 58 yesterday. It's amazing. I'm going to finish out 59 today, then 60. And, you know, over the next three weeks, they're going to be released. And we're going to end this book. And it is... It is massive. You have participated in about a thousand pages so far, so stick around because we are going to end strong. And I will see you on Monday for episode 56.